Jones. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! He's got it on his AAU teammate. Freshman against freshman. Swanigan against Davis. Swanigan ties the game at 72. Clock picks. Corn sounds. Ball game. Notre Dame is moving on to the Elite Eight. Rebound Hayward. And Butler wins it. Butler's going on to the national championship game. Going to set a high ball screen between the circles is Kamenecki. Penetrating off it is Xavier Turner. A drive and kick. Kiapwe. He tries a three. And he nails it. And we're the Marine. Is going bananas. Welcome into the Crossroads podcast. Talking all things Indiana basketball, not just Indiana University, but Purdue, Butler, Notre Dame, and Ball State as well. Being recorded live from the WCRD studios in Muncie, Indiana. I'm your host, Alex Thomas, alongside me, Parker Stewart. It's been a rough week, honestly, um, for Indiana basketball all around. Really, one team that has thrived has been the team right here at home, Ball State. We'll talk about them um, definitely a lot today. But <clears throat> I think starting with Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, and Butler, we're, we're starting well, what started as a season where it looked like a lot, like four top IU teams could be, four Indiana teams could be in the top 15. It's They're now kind of creeping their way out of there. What do you say? Yeah, a lot, uh, the top four teams in Indiana have really had a slump in the last week or, or week or two. Um, the optimism isn't isn't there for me and in, in some of these teams anymore after what they've uh, or how they performed in their previous games. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go down the stretch in, in the remaining games of of their each respective conference and uh, how they do in their conference tournament and then whether they can actually make it to the NCAA tournament. That's still up for question. This is episode five of the Crossroads podcast. Um, we'll start with Indiana sitting at fourteen and eight, four and five in the Big Ten. That's good for seventh. Um, last week started pretty terribly. With a loss at Michigan, a loss by 30, 90 to 60. And then a loss at Northwestern, which Northwestern's a good team. They're a top 25 team this week now, but you lose by 13 to them at home, and that game was never close. After IU went up nine, and after Northwestern came back very quickly, it was IU never made a real, a real run at it again. OG Ananobi and Colin Hartman are out for the season. James Blackman Jr. out indefinitely. We still have no update on that. Um, and Juwan Morgan seems to have lingering shoulder issues throughout the season. It kind of you never know when he's going to retweak it. Um, coming up in the next week, IU's got a huge opportunity to to build some momentum at number ten Wisconsin, which that's that's a tough place to play up in Madison. But with the Hoosiers, I was wrong last week. I thought that the loss of Blackman, excuse me, the loss of Ananobi, would be a point to rally around for the Hoosiers like they did with Blackman last year, and it, I simply was completely wrong. Lost yeah. by an average of 20-some points, and it was not pretty. Right, uh, and you can make the comparison last year with uh, Blackman being out and Yogi Ferrell stepping up. Again, it's just it's it's the it's the leadership aspect that IU just doesn't have this year. They don't have one guy that you know can step in and, and rally around him, rallying around the situation at hand with the injuries. Well, also, I think it has to do with... Yogi Ferrell was not a guy who had uh, necessarily a lot of looks NBA-wise. James Blackman does, always has. So I feel that, I'm not calling James Blackman a selfish player. I mean, he is in in a little bit of a way, but he's not an overall, I don't call him a selfish player. Grayson Allen is a selfish player. 
James Blackman, I just feel, is more concerned about James Blackman, the NBA player, rather than James Blackman, a part of the IU history. Whereas Yogi Ferrell did everything he could to cement himself in Indiana University basketball history. And he did that. He did a great job of it. And now, from what I'm hearing, he might be getting offered a two-year contract with the Dallas Mavericks after a, a solid week after a 10-day contract with them. So I think it all works out either way. But um, James Blackman is is more of a – he needs to show that he can play after a couple of injuries and, and issues on defense. But this team has no – I think this team has lost its identity. It was at once a very efficient offensive team. It does not appear to be that anymore, scoring under 60 points a game in the last week. Um, Thomas Bryant – showed up big in the Northwestern game when it was too little too late. Um, he's yet to take over a game this year, I think. Um, because the Kansas game, he looked good, but he didn't take a, It was not a, wow, Thomas Bryant just won Indiana this game. And he's the type of player that could do that. Caleb Swanigan wins Purdue basketball games. Thomas Bryant has not done that for Indiana. Um, 57.5 points per game in the last two weeks. Last two games, excuse me. Um, and specifically, I think... <clears throat> The longer Blackman's out, this is just going to get worse and worse. I don't see this getting better. Because where's the offense? Well, I I agree. It's not going to get better unless Blackman Jr. can play through injury, which you never want that to happen to an athlete, to have them to want to play so much that they have to play through an injury. Um, You know, obviously the absence of Blackman's huge. You mentioned it, 57.5 points per game in their last two games. I looked up the lowest amount they put up since that time was back in 2012-2013 season in the NCAA tournament. They had put up 58 points in the round of 32 against Temple and then lost to Syracuse and put up 50. So an average of 54 um, right there, which, you know. That, and that was the end of the season that looked like IU's return to the top. Yep. Um, and so the question is, can Thomas Bryant step in and fill the holes? And he's going to have to if, if he – if the Hoosiers want to make the tournament, he's going to have to be the guy that steps up. Obviously, Robert Johnson's going to be huge offensively. He always he always is a part a part of this offense for IU. But Thomas Bryant is really going to have to make himself known more than he already is now. Twenty three and twelve against Northwestern. Do you think he is enough? Enough. I mean, I want a definitive yes or no. Do you think he's enough to carry Indiana? Yeah, I do. If he puts up twenty three and twelve each game. Okay. Well, anyone puts up twenty. If he puts 12. twenty and twenty and eight. 28 is big for the NCAA. Yeah, it is. You're right. But that's the thing that's going to have to happen for the Hoosiers to make the tournament if Blackman Jr. does not come back. I do think that – I don't think Thomas Bryant's enough. I think he's shown that he he thrives when he has another superstar on the floor. I think it's going to hurt his draft stock. Um, without Yogi Ferrell, he has, he has taken a step back, I think, offensively. And I would not be surprised if he returns to Bloomington next year. I really wouldn't. Um, latest mock drafts I've seen have him late first round, early second, and – if you pay attention to the NBA at all, that's not a way to build a career. And that's where Yogi Ferrell was his, his junior year. Yep. He was, top, he was I think, 40th to Brooklyn. I would think that's what you told me back when he was a junior. And, you know, he returned to senior year. Um, you know, obviously I think it was the right move, but he's not in the NBA. But obviously he could be offered that two-year contract. So yeah. down the road, I think it makes sense for him to stay. And you look – I mean, Yogi Ferrell, a lot of that was size. It had to do with his size. But um, back to Bloomington himself, this I think could be – you know, this season was thought to be a dream for some IU fans at the beginning of the year. Take down Kansas, North Carolina. This team looks like a number one team. Um, obviously hasn't been the case, but I think we're now looking at a situation where we could have Bryant and Adenobi come back next year. I do not think that's... Before the season, I would have told you Blackman's gone, Adenobi's gone, Bryant's gone, without question in my mind. They 
were already being top 15 picks, most of them. I think Blackman was the only one that wasn't, and he was still first-round guy. I do think Blackman's still going to go. He weighed the options last year after not playing almost the whole year. Um, I think he'll go because he's James Blackman, the NBA player, not the Indiana player. Um, but I think you could see a situation where Thomas Bryant returns, where Anunoby returns, where Jawan Morgan's in a year older. You have Colin Hartman back from injury. You have Curtis Jones, who is now a second-year player. No Josh Newkirk. Probably I think Curtis, the starting point guard. Probably your starting point guard. You've got Devonta. You've got all these freshmen and transfers with a lot more experience, not to mention a four-star shooting small forward coming in and a four-star power forward who's going to take some time. But we have put – this is what IU tends to do. They get into the big moment, and then they delay it a year. Oh, the next year we'll be back. And, and I'm doing it right now, and I know that. But I, I do think it's something to talk about. So with the freshmen, the, this freshman class included Curtis Jones – Devontae Green, and Deron Davis, and then transferring Freddie McSwain. McSwain's been a disappointment. It took it has taken him time to get up to speed with the game of the Big Ten and the and Division I basketball, not junior college. Um, Deron Davis looks like a stud. I think he's going to be a stud down the line. I, so does Curtis Jones. Devontae Green, I think, is a role-type player. That's what he's looked like to me. A solid role guy. like Kind of like a Will Sheehy yeah. a couple years ago. Will Sheehy was also... I think, and I, if you're if you're an IU basketball fan, I think you saw Will Sheehy more as a role player than he really was because of the impact that he made. You know, the the fanatic dunks that he got, and mm-hmm. just you know everything about Will Sheehy made him more than a role player. Well, and that team was stacked, and when he finally was able to be a star, that team wasn't very good. Um, pretty simple. So um, that's where I, at least that's where I see the freshman this year. Um, I, lo- I like what I've seen. McSwain is really the only, I would say, disappointment. I thought Curtis Jones would be providing more, but I'm not necessarily disappointed because I've seen flashes from him that show his scoring ability. And uh, the, the defense for this team right now is atrocious. And Deron Davis is a defensive guy, I think, that can also score down low on the block. So it'll be interesting to see how IU's identity changes next year. This year, they carried over from last year. They're a three-point shooting team. Very high offensive team. They don't play much defense. Everyone knows that about them. That's that's it's pretty much Hoosier basketball every single season. And but but the thing with last year is that when we saw IU improve on defense is when they went on that run and ended up winning the Big Ten. The defense wins championships. It's I mean it's always been said. Yeah. So and they couldn't defend North Carolina, and that's where they lost in the Elite Eight or in the Sweet Sixteen. Sweet Sixteen. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like this. I'm not on the fire Tom Crean bandwagon yet because I don't think it's a legitimate possibility, so I don't think we need to waste our time talking about it. Sure. Um, now, is it out of the realm of possibilities if IU... Now, IU looks bad, but IU hasn't tanked yet. No, they haven't. T- no one no one in the state of Indiana has tanked. They've just had really bad weeks. Yeah. Past couple weeks, which... And, and- you know, besides Kentucky and your top five teams, that happens to almost every single team in the top twenty-five. It just—it's unavoidable, really. Yep, you have to hit your stride at the right time. That's what makes March Madness so great. Yep. Um, but in conclusion, with Indiana, defense wins championships. We've known that. Tom Crean still isn't trying to teach defense at that university. Um, I don't know whether it's who he's recruiting. Or if guys who are defensive-minded just don't think that way. Maybe the success of last year with the high, high-powered high offense made it believe that offense would be enough. Um, but last I checked, Tom Crean hasn't won a national championship. And uh, IU is still looking for an answer 
offensively this year. Yeah, I mean, they've always been a high-scoring offense, and I think that's what Tom Cream preaches is – or. I again, just my opinion. I think that he values offense way more than he values defense. I agree. If he can put more points on the board, then I think he doesn't really care. I mean, obviously he cares about defense. He's a head coach of of one of the biggest elite programs, but he outweighs offense way more than defense. He's chosen to have an offensive team, and that's how it goes. And it's worked for him in the past, uh, not national championship wise, but you know. All Depot and, and Yogi Ferrell. And one, I mean, he's had a number one, a couple number one teams. He's exactly. Had a, a couple Sweet Sixteens, a couple Big Ten championships. He's not a bad coach. It just hasn't he's worked a down the stretch. Good recruiter too. He's Great a, recruiter. Yeah. It's just he's not. He can't necessarily win the big one, um, which is why this year he beats Kansas, beats North Carolina. IU fans are finally thinking IU can win the big one, and then it turns out they can't win the small one. Um, a team that does identify defensively very strongly is that of the Purdue Boilermakers. In their last week, I'll give you a quick recap, lost at Nebraska by three. Caleb Swanigan is averaging 18.5 points and nearly 13 rebounds, 18 double-doubles on the season leading the country. Next week, on the February 4th, they are at Maryland, who just got a, a, a good win at Ohio State last night. So, for the Boilermakers, would you consider the close loss at Nebraska a disappointing one? Yes, but it's one it's one of those games where the ball just doesn't it didn't roll their way. Um, it's you know it's disappointing from a fan's point of view where they'll say yeah, you know it's disappointing that they lost. You know ah oh, man my favorite team just lost. But from an analyst point of view, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an analyst, um, but from an analyst point of view, it's just one of those games. You know it probably they probably should have ended up winning in, in the end. But when you look back. When you get to March Madness and you look back, you're not going to say, you know, that win at Nebraska would have changed things. I agree. And Nebraska, well, the I think it's, it's – I don't consider it disappointing because Nebraska won their first three games then lost five straight. Um, but you lose to a team on the road in the Big Ten by three. That's not a disappointing loss. We said Dakota Mathias needed to step up. He dropped 19 points. Purdue actually shot 0.4% better than Nebraska – Nebraska out-rebounded Purdue, but only by five rebounds. And so I don't consider it a a disappointing one. However, it's when you string those type of losses together, it becomes disappointing, which is what IU has done. Um, Purdue has Northwestern, Maryland, and Indiana in the next three games. That's an opportunity. Northwestern's a top 25 team, Maryland's a top 25 team, and then your biggest rival in Indiana, which you have to win. You have to win. I don't care how bad IU is looking, Purdue has to win that game. I agree. If, if IU were, if they, if Purdue, you know, Purdue is a better team, that game is every bit as important as Northwestern and Maryland. So, looking over that next three games, what does Purdue need to do themselves to kind of show their potential? Let's break these uh, three games down one by one. Let's look at Northwestern. First off, they're going to have really high spirits coming into Mackey Arena. They just got into the top 25, like you mentioned. I think Purdue's biggest key for this at home is to set the tone early. You need to set the tone early. Kale Swanigan needs to make himself, you know, big like he always does, and he will. You know, he doesn't he doesn't fail when it comes to that. Um, get Northwestern uncomfortable with your play style. Um, you know, the last loss to the Wildcats at home was back on March eight, uh, the twenty thirteen fourteen season. So they have a history of beating Northwestern, not only in general but at home as well. So uh, I think you need to win this game to have great momentum uh, heading into the Maryland game on the road. Um, and speaking of Maryland, you know they're sitting twenty and two 
coming off that six-point win last night against Ohio State. Again, for that game, you need to set the tone early. Uh, I think that's Purdue's biggest strength when they win. If I were Matt Painter, I would put Dakota Mathias on Mellow Trimble. I would not put P.J. Thompson on Mellow Trimble. Um, that's something that Mathias worked on all of, of the offseason and is his defense. Um, you know, he's improved on that aspect a lot. You know, so knowing what he did in the offseason, that's where I would put him. Um, what are your thoughts on those two games? Well, I like the idea of, I, I think, P.J. Thompson eating alive and Mellow Trimble has played, uh, I think he's played better this year than he did last year. Um, and that team, I think, is better this year than it was last year. Even though last year they were, you know, a preseason number one team. Yeah. We kind of forget that. But, um, you know, Northwestern and Maryland, the Northwestern game, I think, will be more difficult than the Maryland game. Because for the Boilermakers, Northwestern is a team in which <clears throat> they haven't been good in a long time. And they are finally winning and have legitimate NCAA opportunities coming their way. And they're a good team. Coming off a, a, a good home beatdown of IU, who's a perennial power and always pounds on them. Um, I think that Purdue is able to handle Northwestern at Mackey. They will win the next two. I think Purdue is about to go on a big streak. And, <clears throat> and I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten because I think Maryland's going to come away with it. They're starting to distance themselves, Maryland is. And, and I, I'll say this. If Maryland beats Purdue, I think the Big Ten race is all but over. Maryland's yeah, I think it's win. a lock if Maryland beats Purdue. Um, so that that's I think that game is that's going to be a great game. Two of the biggest names in the Big Ten, Mel Trimble and Caleb Swanigan. And then, I mean, this is a great week of basketball if you're a Purdue fan. So sit down and buckle up and watch the Boilermakers. It's going to be a tough week, and they have to survive, but... We'll see what they can do. And talking about the third game, Indiana, regardless of the caliber of teams that you're facing um, before you play IU, that's the biggest game of your season. You, without a doubt. You know, if you know Indiana basketball, IU-Purdue is one of the biggest rivalries, not only in Indiana, it is the biggest in Indiana. It's, the, it's one of the biggest in the country. You know, it, it's just one of those special games that you'll always look forward to, whether you're not even a fan of IU or Purdue. And a Purdue victory in Assembly Hall would be as uplifting for the Boilermakers as it would be crushing for the Hoosiers. It would just... It that would, would probably put the end of the Hoosier, Hoosiers tournament hopes. It would staple it, yep. yep. They'd, be, they'd be done. All right, let's head up north to another team that has had... I think this team has had the roughest week, Notre Dame. Going into the tournament... I mean, excuse me, going into the week, they had a chance to win... The ACC. They were within striking distance of Virginia um, in North Carolina. Last week, well, you had a loss to Florida State in the week prior, then a loss at Georgia Tech on a last-second layup, and a loss at home against Duke by 10. They've lost four of their last five, and the next week they've got at number 12 North Carolina and then at home against Wake Forest. That is a brutal schedule. You've gotten three top 25 teams and a Georgia Tech team that is looking pretty decent and has knocked off a couple top 25 teams themselves. So for Notre Dame, would you consider them all but out of the ACC race? I would, and I'm biased, so I'm just going to say it. And when you play in the best conference in college basketball, you're going to have a rough stretch like this. Notre Dame are in the mix of a difficult six-game stretch where I only think that Jerry and Grant's Notre Dame team could have beaten all six teams. 
Um, definitely not the Irish team this year, and they showed it. So you mentioned loss at FSU. Win home against Syracuse. That was the only win in the last uh, five games. Loss at home against Virginia, who, frankly, they can never beat where, regardless of, of where it's played. Loss at Georgia Tech, who has been great this past couple of weeks, and then loss at home against Duke. And that, you know, home losses really hurt, especially knowing how good the Irish are at Personal Pavilion. They've always been a great home team. Um so yeah, this this past this past five games has been pretty brutal for the Irish, and you know North Carolina on Saturday at North Carolina that doesn't really help any any type of momentum for the Irish. Um, you'd have to have some some pretty big grit in your team to beat all five of those teams. So you know I'm looking forward to watching how they play against North Carolina. Obviously, it's going to be tough away, um, but I have been disappointed in the Irish in the last five games. They should have beaten Duke at home. They probably should have beaten Georgia Tech. And uh, I don't really fault the Virginia loss, but, you know, the three-point losses, like the FSU game and the uh, last second lap against Georgia Tech, you have to – the Irish before in, – in not in early in the season, they had, they had wins down the stretch in the last minute of the game. They came back. They were down. That's what they needed to do against Florida State and Georgia Tech. Um, you know, fight till the end. And I've seen, I just, I've noticed they've, they haven't given up, but they just haven't played to the quality that they have been playing in the beginning of games um, down the end in the last five games. And with this brutal of a schedule, do you consider this a disappointing stretch of games? Obviously, no one likes to lose, but there's a difference between it being, if, if this was a loss to all terrible teams, it's a little different. These are all tough competitive teams. So as, as someone who looks at Notre Dame basketball, do you consider these losses a disappointment or an expecta- or, or mildly expected? I think it was mildly expected, knowing the team that they have. Um, and it's not a bad team at all. But when you're playing away at Florida State, who beat Louisville, um, it's going to be a tough game. Syracuse, not really surprised that they won. Um, surprised by they, that they won by so much and that V.J. Beecham put 30 up, I'm surprised by that. Um, but the loss at home against Virginia... Not really surprised. I'm surprised about the Georgia Tech loss, even though the run that they had has been miraculous. Um, it's still a, it, Notre Dame is still better than Georgia Tech, um, and so I would I would consider that a, a, a fairly big upset for the Yellow Jackets. And then the game against Duke, you know, what can I? I they have Duke has finally ended the streak of Notre Dame beating them in the last two seasons. I think they won five out of the last seven against the Blue Devils, and um, you know, just didn't look great against Duke. I would call it, consider these not a disappointment, but a series of missed opportunities. Notre Dame had a chance to really make a legitimate case, and that's the tough part about a Bruce schedule. It can either it's kind of a low risk, high reward because in terms of rankings, yes, they've fallen, but even if they lose at North Carolina and they do fall to the top twenty-five, they won't be by much. And you put together a couple couple wins, you'll be right back. And here. yeah, they're, even if they fall out, they'll still they'll still receive a lot of votes mm-hmm. to get back into the top twenty-five. Um, you know, they're a top 25 team. They have been for the past six years consistently. So again, the loss against North Carolina, it's, it's another loss. It's another L on their, on their schedule. But again, it's against one of the top teams in the nation. So, you know, I can't really fault them for losing. Well, and a win at North Carolina erases the last week. A win at number 12, North Carolina. Ah, see, I, that's struggle. I struggle with that this past week or against these past five teams. The past five teams. Okay, no, I would not say that. Just winning against North Carolina would at North Carolina. Yeah, at North Carolina because they lost by three against Florida State, a game they should have won. They lost at Georgia Tech, a game they should have won. 
and they just didn't do it against Duke at home. I don't know if you could say a game at Florida State. Florida State's a t- almost a top-five team. No, but they should have won, regardless of how many points they lost by. They did not execute down the stretch, and free throws they missed. Notre Dame has the best free throw percentage shooting team in the nation. They're on, they're on track right now to beat Harvard's record. They missed four free throws in the, in the last two minutes against Florida State. Free throws in relation to defense win games. So uh, missing four free, thro- free throws down the stretch when you're the highest free throw presenting shooting team in the nation, you know, that really stinks. That really stinks. And I agree with that. You look at their free throw percentage against Duke, they shot 67%. 68%. Yeah, that's that is nothing that like we've seen this season for the Irish. And I would I would argue that that is the difference in these games. I mean, the Virginia game, okay, blowout. Georgia Tech 2 points. They beat Syracuse, Florida State 3 points. Um Duke even 10 points, but they missed 9 free throws. Yeah. The Irish missed 9 free throws in that game. Uh, and Duke shot the free ball very well from the stripe. That has been the difference. VJ Beefdrum is still putting up numbers. Bonzi Colson's still putting up points, and so is Matt Farrell. Only player that's not putting up points is Steve Estore. He has not been the Steve Estore in the la- these past five games like he has been for the Irish last season or at the beginning of this season. Now, if we go on the, not we, if Notre Dame goes on the road and beats North Carolina by fifteen. Then I would say it, sent, it it erases everything that happened in the past two weeks. But if they, I mean, if they win by a point, it's a good win, yeah. But I need to see a dominant performance from the Irish to really erase what just happened in the past two weeks. That's fair to say. That's fair to say. Another team that has missed opportunities was Butler as they lost Tuesday evening against Creighton in a game that it just didn't look like Butler basketball. It was sloppy. Um, it lacked heart, I think. Um, so, and that now makes two straight losses for the Bulldogs. And one coming against Georgetown, who sits sixth in the Big East. At home, though, and that's what really, I think, hurts more than anything, is, is both of these games were home losses. And you simply can't have those when you're trying to chase down the number one team in the country for the lead in the Big East. Now, Butler has still done an excellent job this season. <clears throat> I'm not taking that away from them. But when you lose by four and then by nine, there are question marks. And then also beat a bottom-tier DePaul team by one. If you look back over that... And Georgetown just beat DePaul by only three. Yeah. And if you look back, Butler beat Seton Hall in a close game. Seton Hall's not very good this year. They beat DePaul by one, who's literally the worst team in the Big East. They lost at home to Georgetown, who sits sixth, and then they lost at home to Creighton by nine. Creighton's a, a good team, but also just lost their starting point guard for the season. And Butler just has not looked themselves in the last four games. But you look before that, they you know they take took take down Xavier, they lost to Creighton, beat Georgetown, obviously took down number one, have a, a number of good wins across the board. And now it's simply they have games against Marquette and Providence over this next week, road games, that I would consider must wins. For this Butler team did not completely fall. They have not lost three straight games in the Chris Holtman era. Uh, that's really impressive. Um, and looking back at the Georgetown and Creighton games, they, you're right. They did not look like the Butler basketball team that we know that they that they have been playing like. But Georgetown shot 63.8% from the field, 50% from three-point. You're not going to beat a team when they do that. And looking at Creighton, 
They shot 55.8% from the field, 61% from three-point. But that also shows a lack of defense from the Bulls. Yeah, it, it does. But still, when, when your opponent shoots that well, you're not going to have any chance of winning, regardless of how high-powered your offensive team is. And you look at these two games, though, both at home, both big opportunities to get some wins and build some momentum. They've got to go on the road at Marquette and Providence, back home against St. John's and DePaul, which should be must should be easy wins. If you lose one of those, that's rough. And then in the Big E season, you have to go on the road to Villanova and Xavier within a, within four days. So Butler does need to win this game at Marquette. Marquette's an okay team. They're not a, a bad team. Providence without Chris Dunn has fall, taken a step back this year without a doubt. But it's not necessarily that, oh, if, if Butler loses these, they're screwed because they lost to Marquette. No, no, no. They're screwed because they've got games coming up later on in the Big E season that are going to be incredibly difficult to win. Villanova doesn't lose at home in the last couple of years. Simply don't. So for Butler, they're still scoring like they do. It really is a, a de- lack of defense and rebounding for the Bulldogs over the last couple of games that has led to their demise. And it's certainly tough, but then I was as I was sitting there thinking about that, it came to my mind, would you, do I call Butler... Like, IU is an offensive team. Purdue is a defensive team. I'd call Notre Dame an offensive team. Is Butler an offensive team or a defensive team? I say they're a defensive team. Why? Based on the stats, um, they only allow 67.6 points per game. That's 66th in the nation. They score 76 points per game. That's 110th. That's a big position drop um, compared to defense and offense. Now, yes, their defense has not been good allowing Creighton and Georgetown to shoot such high percentage from the field. But, you know, if they step that up, they wouldn't lose those, they would not lose those games. I think it's more important for Butler down the stretch now, especially since they lost to Creighton and Georgetown, to focus on their defense. They know they can score the ball. I, 76 points, you know, it's, that's average. That's average at, at best. They know they can score the ball. the ball. If they can, you know, lock down on that defense that has not been going their way in the last couple of games... I think they can catch Villanova. I I don't think they'll they'll catch Villanova just because Villanova it, it loses so little that would that would require Butler going to to Villanova and winning and I don't see that happening um, so I'm not even gonna think like that but this is a team that is largely built on transfers. If you look down their roster, they've got three pretty big impact transfers and Avery Woodson, Keith and Savage, and Tyler Lewis. And the impact of these transfers is quite astounding. You look at Avery Woodson, he's fourth on the team in scoring with eight points per game, um, averages two and a half assists, shoots the ball well from the free throw line, and three-point-wise, he's a 40% free throw shooter, I mean three-point shooter, which isn't bad. He comes from Memphis. You look at Keith and Savage, he's right behind Woodson at fifth on the team in scoring. He's a transfer from George Washington, 7.7 points, uh, just over two re- two. Uh, just over two rebounds per game and a handful of assists. But I think the the biggest one who is, he was a transfer at one point, um, is Tyler Lewis, who has really taken over the point guard position. And he's not a guy who scores a lot, um, sitting at seven points per game, only one and a half assists, but he leads this team in, in assists by far and is sort of a glue guy um, that I think kind of similar to what Yogi Ferrell was his freshman year. Um, 
where he provides energy and he's a hard player. He's a that's a Butler Bulldog. Tyler Lewis is a Butler Bulldog without yeah, a with doubt. A, yep. Um, and you have to look at that and think about where on earth would Butler be without these transfers? I mean, that's that's your four, five, and six guys right there. Yep. A couple starters. Um, so you have to give credit to Chris Holtman. It's tough to recruit very well. Joey Brunk's a top 100 guy, and they've got a good recruiting class coming in next year. But as a school, Butler, st- Butler still feels like a mid-major. They're not. They're a major program. Yep, they are. But they feel like a mid-major, and they almost recruit like a mid-major. They don't pull big names. Not at all. No, I would argue they only feel like a mid-major because of what happened in the tournament. If they were higher seeded in the tournament that they went in both tournaments that they went to the NCAA championship, I would I would consider Butler a major program back then. But since they were an eight seed, well, I think it's still that now they aren't a they they still usually aren't a top eight seed in their area of the bracket. And the whole country is not so much aware of Chris Holtman as they were with mm-hmm. Brad Stevens. So mm-hmm. coaching changes obviously is a huge part, but Chris Holtman is excellent. Yeah, and they don't I mean Butler doesn't go after Indiana guys very much. No. I mean a lot of Indiana guys are leaving the state, but you know, Caleb Swanigan goes to goes to Purdue, James Blackman goes to IU. Um and I think you look around and those kind of guys, the ones who are staying are going still going to IU and Purdue, but Chris Holman's done an excellent job of finding quality pieces wherever he can and it's led to the success of the Bulldogs. They have, in the next week, as we mentioned, a game at Marquette on the 7th. So, a needed win for the Bulldogs. Now we bring it back home here to Muncie. The Ball State Cardinals are now in sole possession on top of the Mac West. And I think it really has to do with their point guard. In the last week, they beat Western Michigan by six at home. Um, the only other team that is competing with Ball State, they sit 14 and seven, five and three, excuse me, 15 and seven, six and three in the Mac, taking into their win uh, last night against Toledo, 81 and 80, 81 to 80. First in the Mac West division, they're now sitting sole possession of second in the Mac. Next week, game against Buffalo on the third. For Ball State. This year, I th- I mean, this team doesn't have a lot of new faces and new names. It doesn't have a stud freshman, but it does have a stud transfer in Taylor Persons. And I think he really has taken this team to the next level. I would agree. And uh, after last night's win, 81-80 to over Toledo, like you mentioned, James Whitford, the head coach, uh, said Taylor's performance was exceptional in every way, from top to bottom, in every category. He completely controlled the game and kept us in the game. Another thing that he did that I was really impressed with was his composure and leadership. And I think that that last that last word, leadership, is what Taylor Persons brings to this team. He's a transfer. He knows, you know, he's been in college basketball. Not that the other players in on Ball State haven't been, but he has good experience outside of, of the MAC. Um, so coming in. Right there, that leadership is the reason why I think Taylor Persons has, has taken this team to the next level. Not only has he provided leadership, but looking back at the games that Ball State has won in this stretch, Toledo, 26 points, 8 assists, shot 11 for 19, 3 for 6, three for six from the three-point arc. Western Michigan, 24 points, 6 assists, 9 for 11 shooting. That's incredible. 2 for 2 from three-point. Eastern Michigan, 11 points. Bowling Green, 16 uh, Central Michigan, which that was a huge game for the that was a huge win for the Cardinals. Uh, Eighteen points, Buffalo seventeen points, and then Miami twelve. So, you know he's put up double digit 
points and you know more than 15 in, in a majority of those games. And I think that's the reason why Ball State has been so good down the stretch in these last five or six games. Yeah, averaging 16 points per game, shooting almost 50% from the floor, 44% from three, and a 74% free throw shooter. Those are excellent numbers. Averages nearly four rebounds per game, as well as leads the team in assists by a, a large margin. He does commit a lot of turnovers, leads the team in that category as well, but he also plays the most minutes, so I don't necessarily take that away. But the, it filled a need that this team was searching for. Francis Chiapo is a good shooter, but just lacks the consistently consistency. And this year is shooting 32% from three, 34% from the field. I mean, he, he has lacked it this year. And then looking at Jeremy Tyler, he's bit, faced some injuries as well as just isn't shooting the ball as well, especially from three. So the addition of Taylor Persons really rounded out this team with Franco House, Trey Moses, Sean Sellers, and Ryan, uh, and Ryan Weber. But I think I, I, I wouldn't call him a surprise because I think we knew what he was going to be coming into the season. So for me, the biggest surprise for the Cardinals, I'd have to go with Trey Moses, who stepped up his scoring, now averaging almost 10 points a game and leads the team in rebounding with nearly nine rebounds per game. And he's came, come up big in some games where the Cardinals have needed him down the stretch. Yeah, he has. Um, and I like your biggest surprise, the, the player that you said. My biggest surprise, it was not actually a player. It was uh, it, it was either, I can't, I decided that 9-3 and three at Worthen Arena was a bigger surprise for me than, than a player. Also, the win over Central Michigan. I mean, they were capable of doing that, but it was more of a surprise to me, a shock. Um, the la- they're 9-3 and three at home. Last time the Cardinals had as near a better record than 9-3 and three was back in 2010-2011. They finished 11-3. and three. Last year they went 13 and six at home, you know, which isn't bad. 13 and six at home, that's that's pretty good. But they're on track to finish much better than that. You know, they have Buffalo Friday, Ohio, Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois. All of those games are the remaining home games, and I believe the Cardinals can win all four of those games, um, which would take them to 13 at three at home. Which I tried to look up a better a better home record than 13 and three, but I couldn't go back because the stats wouldn't let me. So, um, you know, they're doing a fantastic job at home, finishing out games. So, I, I mean, yeah, that'd have to be my biggest surprise. Oh, if you're going to win in the MAC, you have to defend your home floor. Um, Akron's done that, and that's why they sit on top of the MAC. They're undefeated currently in MAC play. Um, but the other thing about this team is there are eight players averaging more than seven points per game. What do you think that says about this team? I th- they share the ball. That's, I mean, says it right on the paper. Share a ball, ball state can hit from all sorts of angles when they're on. They're on. That's what I love about this Cardinals team. You know, there isn't one player besides Taylor Persons that has been consistently good scoring the ball. Um, so, yeah, they share the ball. I, I mean, it, it, I, if I had a team to compare, it'd be Notre Dame because they have four players scoring more than, more than mm-hmm. uh, 10 points per game. But, you know, eight players averaging more than seven. That says a lot about your team. Uh, I think, I think uh, as an opponent head coach, it's going to be pretty difficult to to defend that when you know you know you have five guys on the starting floor that you have to worry about, but then you have three guys on the bench that can come in and score the same amount. So, I, I it's it's impressive to say the least. Also, the top three players, Taylor Person, Franco House, and Trey Moses, all, all lead the team in scoring, are all shooting fifty percent or better from the floor, which is huge. Um, and I, I wanted to take a moment to really commend James Whitford's 
job turning this team around. You look back, he was hired in April of 2013. In his first season, they, they, this team went 5-25. and 25. The next year, big improvement, 7-23. and 23. And then, of course, the huge turnaround we saw last year. Go 21-14, and 14, a contender in the MAC for the first time, and now this year, 15-7. and 7. I, As you mentioned, the Central Michigan win, it really is a big one. Marcus Keene's the leading scorer in the country, and they held him in the second half. The first half he got he, all He went off in the first half. But it showed that this team it, it lacks um, an ego. There's not egotistical players. And I think that James Whitford has, has created an environment and a culture that expects winning and expects consistent play. And you have to commend him for that. He's done a, an excellent job. No doubt. With the Cardinal team. And they continue to rise. Next year will be pretty big when you see Franco House move away. Because he's... You know, which I, you know, they always say give coaches four years. We've given we've given James Whitford four years, and look at what he's done. Yep, he sounds so, like Theo Epstein for the Cubs. We may be entering a, a golden age for Ball State, for the for Ball State basketball for the first time since the early '90s. That does it for us on the Crossroads Podcast. All things Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, Butler, and Ball State. We will see you next week. These podcasts will be coming out every Thursday. So be sure to tune in on Twitter. Follow us. Join the conversation at AlexThomas17, at ParkerStewart3. Yep. Got it. Um, We'll see you next week.